Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners and viewers may find the ideas and content expressed disturbing or objectionable. Hello, I'm Todd Fredericks, Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at The Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, and this is Rotations. And here's Nassar Bakshi, our host. Yes, welcome everyone to another episode of Rotations. Um, like we mentioned last week, this is a, a slightly unique episode where not necessarily talking about things that are strictly medical, but rather how to disseminate medicine and how to make it uh, accessible to even people that don't have that scientific background. So we're joined today by Rick Burke, uh, the executive editor of Stat News, uh, a scientific publication. And uh, we're just kind of discussing with with him uh, how oh, how we can make science. I have, I have one yep. thing real quick. Because we are a Scripps project too, does, does Rick know that we have a journalism school here at OU? The Scripps School of yes. Journal. So, what's it going to take? Uh, and I'm going to see if Scripps will give me some funding because I got to pay off Nat Geo for some footage. Um, <laughs> okay, what would it take to get a Scripps journalism major in internship with Stat News? Hey, I we love interns. We have great interns. If if you all can fund the intern, then oh man, there's that money. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see, want, want, want. I mean, <laughs> if they're self-funding, can they come as an intern? If they're if they're legitimate and they're not, you know, screwballs. When you say self-funding, like they don't, like they say, I'm going to work for you for free, Rick. I just want to learn your trade. We'd be happy to do that, but I don't know if there rule labor rules about. I don't know if we can do that. Oh well. We would. I won't put you on the spot. I'm just going to mention that we once had a conversation with Rick Burke, and maybe there might be an opportunity for a Scripps journalist to show up at STAT. Maybe, and the details need to be worked out. Maybe, and we all we're all about wanting to encourage young journalists. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. So, you know, we can we can plot. We can plot. We can plot. <laughs> put him on the spot. Yeah, yeah. he's never going to talk to us again. <laughs> Uh, we're also joined on the panel uh, by Lisa Forrester, our expert on everything. So thanks for coming. Hello, thanks. <laughs> and then Jim Phillips, uh, a communications specialist from the Schoonover School and of Communications. Expert on nothing. Expert <laughs> on nothing. <laughs> expert at nothing. Except communications, right? Uh, I, I communicate well. <laughs> you do very well. So, uh, Rick, you mentioned in, in another interview, um, you said that Stat, a, Stat News aims to be authoritative, but you love to find the fun in the life sciences. So. I'm curious, have you found the scientific realm to be more fun to report on than politics? I think, I, I think in any, any coverage, whether it's politics or science or anything, I think journalists need to not take themselves too seriously. And that was always a mantra of mine at the New York Times. Like, let's just have a little fun here. And people like to, like, you can be a little more playful and lighthearted in your writing sometimes, depending obviously on the seriousness of the story. But you can, um, but but it also helps. I think readers appreciate that and makes the journalism more accessible. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite stories we've done was about a, a little boy in Chicago who has his own. I think he's six years old and he has his own science podcast. Hmm. And. And it's, At six, it's, you are behind. Wow, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this kid's lapping me. <laughs> you're a loser. No, you're a horrible millennial, and you're way behind the six-year-old. Sixteen years too late. My goodness. <laughs> he's done. Uh, he's had bigger. He's bigger names than you have because this kid, Ron, like read our story about it. But like, oh, check this out. Fun, 
we we had a, a fun story about him, but that's a kind of kind of playful, lighthearted thing. But it's but it's kind of cool. Well, I hope you held his feet to the fire when you interviewed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor, literally to the fire in your room right now. He's probably up for it. <laughs> Like gene editing and the occasional burp or something. Like, <laughs> but but he got these big name people and he's because his father is connected or whatever and he got the big he's got big name people on his podcast and he asked them very basic questions and I think it's to your point about forcing people to make science accessible. Yeah, and and you know I guess kind of the flip side of that is is when you're trying to make it entertaining. Um, you know, a lot of media outlets nowadays kind of take that clickbait approach of trying to get people to click on a story uh, by having like an entertaining or an attention grabbing title, even if it's not necessarily the most accurate. So, you know, I guess my question is, how do you find that balance? How do you make something entertaining without misleading or, or presenting information that's exaggerated? Because I did see the word sex in a couple of your headlines. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for, and this was even pre-web, I mean, I'm all for provocative as long as it's fair, like I like juicy, interesting headlines. I just think that's good journalism. As long as you're fair and not over the top or um, um, or unfairly pumping something up that doesn't deserve it. But but um, sometimes people might say what I do is I'm hyping a story. No, in my view, it's making it accessible and giving context to mm -hmm. readers. So, but but. You just have to be responsible. Like, for example, when you talk about clickbait, there was there was a there was a big story the other day um, that got a lot of attention that people were writing about is is coconut oil might not be this magic food, whatever. And we saw it trending on Twitter and doing well. And we thought, do we want to? I mean, we could get a, we could get a lot of traffic if we jump on that. But that's irresponsible. But is there a stat way into it that's responsible and credible that will give a better context for it? So we wrote this story about um, why, you know, it's known for years that coconut oil is not healthy, but how did it get this reputation in the first place? So it's sort of giving okay. the history and the context. And so you can be responsible, but also get readers. Um, but I don't think we never chase quit like traffic um, to, to try to just trace tra traffic for the sake of traffic is a no win situation because mm. you never know where it's going to come from or what readers will want to see. And it's some of it's sort of serendipity. It just it really depends. Our our most viral story ever was something that I never in a million years would have imagined. And it's gotten more than 80 million, I think like 83 million. Does it involve cats and a piano? No, and this is really the surprising. This was actually a legitimate story. We had a videographer in Brazil do a video of how of a burn victim who had very serious burns on like a lot of his body. And they were using the skin of tilapia fish to he help him heal. Hmm. And it was like a two minute video. And it, it was very unlike, you know, most viral videos, it was, it was hopeful, it was, it was about the science, it was it an interesting, engaging character. And it got, and we just saw the traffic, millions, and literally millions and millions and millions of people. And I think 
the traffic was, I think there were three videos last year that did better than this video. And this was like one of all time huge videos, but it wasn't cats. It was, it was science and medicine. And so I was proud of that. I mean, it was an engaging video, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, I never would have imagined it would have gotten that kind of traffic. Well, I think, too, there's a difference between exploitative and just fun and attractive. Any working journalist right. knows there are stories that aren't going to change the world, aren't hugely important, but people are going to read them. Like I read a piece in The Economist about uh, drunken crayfish. Does this ring any bells? They, there was an experiment in what how crayfish get sort of crazy when they drink and they lose their inhibitions and so forth, and probably not going to really make a big difference to anybody's <laughs> life. crayfish but, drink? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, they, the, the Economist... Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, it's in The Economist. They, I believe they compared them to frat boys, which I thought was kind of unfair, but... Are there a lot of crayfish at Cheers? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, another question I had for you, Rick, and, and we were talking um, last week about how, you know, you your perspective on stories could be a little bit different than, you know, a scientist's perspective. Like you mentioned, okay, how can we find a, a Trump angle to this or a political angle to this? So um, what sorts of people do you have on your team? You know, what, what sorts of perspectives kind of make up Stat News? We have... The um, a, a real mix of people. I, I mentioned the people that are sort of established um, science and health journalists who have been in this, covered this world for decades, literally decades. But we also, and we've hired people from reputable, reputable news organizations. We have people from the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Politico, um, LA Times. Um, so we have a really experienced crew. And, but we also have some of the, the, the young, young journalists right out of college who, who, who did great internships at newspapers covering health and medicine, or people who studied some of these fields in college and also journalism. So we have, we, uh, so most of these people have an interest in the field and a background, but the, the most important thing is just having a mix of sharp, smart people who are curious and um, and everyone brings different talents to the table. We have um, an investigative reporter I hired from Bloomberg who didn't really have a background in covering opioids, but we he's led the way in, in, in won awards already for our coverage of the opioid epidemic. And so a lot of it is just hiring people who are smart and aggressive and want to break stories. How sensitive are you to analytics between generations, Rick, as far as your stories? When you look at millennials versus uh, the Gen Xers and, and older folks, uh, baby boomers, do you, do you guys track that at all, to look at how your stories hit and, and what, the, uh, what the, um, the perceptions are among those demographic groups? That's a, that's a good question. I, we have some metrics, and I, haven't, I need to go back and look. I haven't looked in a long time. My sense was that it was sort of a younger, we have a younger audience than... I would have guessed, and hmm. more more professional, of sort of high, relatively high income. Um, there are a lot of people in science and medicine, academic, uh, academics, PR, um, journalists, media. Um, but I don't have the exact breakdowns. But it was sort of in a, um, at fairly high level, impressive, and like I would have thought we'd have more retirees, but we don't have that many. It's more people working and um, also the last I checked are 
about a quarter, a little bit over a quarter of our audience is international. Our biggest state is, our biggest audience is California and then New York. And then um, we, you know, we have even, we're based obviously in Massachusetts. We have a good strong audience here, but since, since Massachusetts itself isn't as big as California, we, that's not as big of a state for us. Hmm. So we are truly see ourselves as national and international. Hmm. You know, here at the university, we hear a lot of students don't read. They're not interested in reading. <laughs> I don't know. We have very short attention spans. <laughs> short attention spans. <laughs> click, click, right? Click, click. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how do we get a whole new generation to be really engaged and interested in science, in reading, and journalism, and knowing what's going on around the world? Uh, but or I take that back. They say they know what's going on around the world because they look at Reddit or some of these other places. So do you have a strategy for bringing these young people to your... Well, I think, I think Lisa, I think, like, I think journalists also have stored attention spans. Like, we all... Like, <laughs> like, I, I'm forever talking to our reporters and they're, like, explaining this story they're working on. I'll say, what's the headline? Get like, to the point. <laughs> Just to, just to have, like, I just have, I have an hour glass on our, on the desk in our meeting room that I turn over when I'm having meetings. I just don't like to go on long because people get bored and distracted. So I think the challenge is not only to get millennials and young people, but that this, everyone has these days has short attention spans. We at STAT and everywhere else are competing to get the attention of, of people who are just, bombarded with news from all kinds of different sources. So we better get to the point quickly and make that headline interesting and fair and not hyped, but interesting and provocative. And we also have to offer journalism that you can't get anywhere else. And that's why we don't have any interest in com what I think of as commodity journalism, like the same story that everyone else is doing. For instance, with the healthcare, um, story going on on the Hill right now, we met with our Washington reporters yesterday and I said, you know, let, let all these inside newsletters, these boring policy newsletters, they, they can fight over the, every latest turn and what's going on in the Senate. We, we don't have the, we have the luxury of not having to worry about that. What's the big picture mm -hmm. story? What do we want to say that's different? And I think the story, I don't know if it's up yet, or if there, but the story we're working on is Trump said the House bill is mean. Is the one that they're cooking up now in the Senate, is it, is it going to be mean or can it? And, and our conclusion is from our reporting is that there's no way it can't be mean, given, given, given what the parameters are of it. So we'll, we'll try to ask that big question about the meanness or not in the president's and the Republican proposal, which to me is a bigger question that's really kind of important that gets it at the import of this health legislation rather than every little turn of what Mitch McConnell is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to ask you about was, where do you see scientific reporting going in the next five years, the next 10 years as our media landscape kind of shifts away from the more traditional newspaper approach? Well, I, I think we've seen it. It's, it's always hard to know, especially in the world of media, because look what's happened in the last five years, 10 years. It's, it's so unpredictable. 
when when I went when I was started at the New York Times, I thought I'd be there my whole career, and I kept all my stock in the New York Times because I thought that'll never go down. So I'll be a rich man if I do. <laughs> I'd lose my, you know, lose so much because like who would have? So the, the the world of media has so changed, and when um, you ask about Stan's business model, you know we haven't we're still experimenting. We haven't figured this out either. So it's really hard to predict, you know, even months ahead of where this is all going to go. But what I will say about science journalism, we're seeing a lot more people taking stabs at covering some of these subjects that we're talking about. And these topics are becoming more and more important to the world. Like when you see what's happening with um, gene drive and with and what's happening with with new discoveries and um, and 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 also the politics of healthcare and what's happening in Washington, all this stuff is touching people's lives. So I I can only see this being a more and more vital area of journalistic pursuit. Yeah, definitely, Lisa, Jim. What do you guys think about where we're headed? Honestly, I, I can only agree with Rick that uh, it's really difficult to predict a year in advance what's going to happen with the media. I think. I was I used to work for an alternative newspaper and I remember 10 15 years ago going to conferences where they were sweating and, and beating their brows trying to figure out how to how to even make money on online news you know just any kind of business model that would work that they could monetize news because doing good journalism takes some investment right it takes good good people it takes time it takes effort and making it pay that's that's the tricky part now so mm-hmm. And Jim, they're still sweating and beating. Them. Oh yeah, they never <laughs> seem to have figured it out. Like, name me a news organization that's found the magic formula. It's really tough, and it's really difficult too because people have come to expect that the internet—you turn it on and it tells you whatever you want to know—and they don't realize that human beings with some talent and some and effort goes into actually collecting real news. Right. Right. So, but I remember back when I was in journalism school, they said that. Uh, Newspapers were coming to an end. Don't go <laughs> be a newspaper reporter. And it didn't happen. And it's still, they're still around today. I mean, they're struggling. They're trying to find their way. But there's still papers around. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You had mentioned your specialized uh, sort of prime material. Obviously, people will pay for information that they actually think they can use that actually might make a difference yes. in their lives. People pay for, you know, Business Week or whatever kind of a publication that actually brings them not just this is an interesting thing that happened, but this is an interesting thing, information you might need or use and act on. Right. And our, our founder, John Henry, I mean, he when he talked to me about doing this, his whole philosophy is people will pay for great journalism. He said, if, mm-hmm. if people will not pay for great journalism, then what's our world coming to? So we're, we're out to prove him right so that I have a job. <laughs> year from now. <laughs> and I think you guys have done, done a tremendous job so far, uh, just in, in the little bit of exposure I've had over the last uh, week or so. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're very busy and, and uh, probably have to get going here soon. So I guess my last question for you here is, is for all of uh, you know, the people listening, um, if you could recommend one story that they read off of Stat News, which one would it be? And it can't okay. be one that you've written. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's really tough. But I guess... The one that's top of mind right now, and it's not some so much a sciencey story, but I think it shows you our ambition 
and the impact we can have. And that would, again, be Sharon Bagley's story on Trump's linguistic skills. I think that that's a story that beautifully and artfully um, relevant to talk that I think will be a classic because it talks about our president's behavior in a very um, authoritative, scientific way that's newsy without reaching any judgments, which it's not sort of armchair psychiatry, but it's here a very smart veteran science writer giving our readers context of, of why the president may or may not be behaving the way he is. And to me, that's, that's a classic, a model of the type of journalism we want to do. But I think the average science journalist who's any good at it probably was, when young, a science nerd in a good sense, that they had that excitement about science and they really liked it and found it interesting and, and, and felt that it was a sort of enlightened place to be. Does that, does that show up? Do you think that makes a difference in how people cover things? Your point is that a lot of the, I think a lot of people who've covered science know that world and they're not as apt to challenge it because they're sort of celebrating that. They may feel on the same side as the people they're talking about. And and I think that's enhanced by the embargo system and the way things have have worked over the years. And and I think it's also, I I think science journalists haven't been encouraged enough to question, Mm -hmm. um, to to, to question the big, to, to raise the big questions rather than just getting into the, 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 um, the details of the science itself. So, so I guess what I, what, what I hope that we're, what I think we're trying to do is, is do both, is not, is, is, you know, the, the people here, that the reporters we have really love science and they love scientists and we have, we have this this video series called Science Happens with Carl Zimmer, where he goes into labs around the country and interviews scientists. So we're all about sort of hero worship if it's deserved. But but I think what the reason I'm here is to remind our reporters that you can also it's also our role to question and to challenge. It sounds name like a great formula, science. really. It sounds like a great formula. I don't have any questions just to say that I think it's fantastic, great reporting, great writing, a nice mix of uh, for, uh, platforms between video and podcasts and articles. Mm-hmm. I mean, long form, short, I, it's just, it's really well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Thanks. You, you all, um, for, I love the name Rotations. and, and Lisa but, came up with that name, actually. That's Lisa's Lisa the expert on everything. <laughs> yeah. And we, we um, like all your, all your points were just, you're just so smart. So it's just, I oh, really, um, it's really a pleasure to talk to, to four of you. Well, that's, that's well, very we appreciate it. So Rick, what is uh, Stat's Twitter handle? Uh, Stat News. Uh, at Stat News? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's an important point, too, is that uh, the, the, the beauty of doing science reporting of any kind, whether it's on rotations or stat news or any of them, is it is an almost infinite field of investigation, that there's not such a narrow band. And if you have an interest, you can go find a story, and there's going to be people who really want to hear about it. So that's very cool. Excuse me. <coughs> 
I would just say that uh, um, we can certainly um, we can certainly put that out. On yeah, our like, feed, our, with our with our with our nascent followers there, because we haven't launched till September. We're doing pre-production we right have now. Like twenty followers, but eventually we hope we have. You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll surpass there. that in about you know oh, six months. Definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. But two million street, is what yeah. we got to shoot for, or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again, Rick. Well, uh, and so I'm, I'm sure you're a busy guy. Great talking to the four of you. Yeah, That's this cool. has been really great, Rick. And. Uh, for those, uh, and hey, maybe sometime uh, we can call you back, and uh, if we see something compelling and we have a different angle to ask you about no, journalism, maybe you'll chat with us again. No, absolutely, anytime. Yeah, you betcha. Okay, we're, hey, take Thank care, you. man. Rotations is a weekly podcast of all things medicine and science and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is hosted by Nisarg Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Brian Plough. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people who we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook lights, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. 